Hello, and welcome to Gilead. I'm Rebecca Anderson, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you found us. This spring, our theme has been Info Dump, stories of what we really, 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 really can't stop talking about. On Sunday, May 21st, 2023, Ez Pence shared our final Info Dump, not in life, but in the series. Here is Ez from Sunday night. Interior, red room day. Thick red velvet curtains frame the room and set on the black and white chevron floors are a spare couple pieces of furniture. An old man sits in an easy chair in front of the table across from a glamorous blonde woman in a black evening gown. Between them stands a man at about three and a half feet tall in a red suit. His back turned to the old man, trembling like an upper lip before a tantrum. He stalls, turns to the old man, whose name is Special Agent Dale Cooper, or Coop for short, um, whose role is the protagonist of the hit 1990s crime drama, Twin Peaks. And the little man claps his hands just once. Let's rock. The effect on his voice is strange and distorted. It's like somebody turned it inside out and right side in again. You can see the subtitles under his words as he speaks them. He takes a seat beside the glamorous woman, and he reaches for her hand, and they stare at the old man, smiling. The air is hot. You can see it on the old man's skin. Briefly, the shadow of a bird can be seen passing on the floor beneath them, but the old man can only listen. I've got good news. The gum you like is going to come back in style. She's my cousin. But doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? Cooper says normally, but it is Laura Palmer. Are you Laura Palmer? Woman, I feel like I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back. The little man says she's filled with secrets. Where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song. There's always music in the air. Saxophone music sounds in the air. The little man rises from his chair and begins this weird, strange, winding, grooving dance around the table. We pan over to Cooper and the woman who stands crosses around the table and gently kisses Dale Cooper, 25 years older, at the time that he is dreaming this on the mouth. Her lips are soft but freezing. Her hand on his jaw has the comfort of an ice pick. She whispers something unheard in his ear. Cut to interior, the Hunt's house, Halloween night. I am 21 years old, dressed in a plaid skirt, a sweater cardigan, a long A-line, plaid shirt, a sweater cardigan, and a long A-line skirt. Holding a piece of wood, a log, you could say, I am become the log lady, an infamous character from Twin Peaks, David Lynch and Mark Frost, groundbreaking 1991 surrealist crime drama, kind of like also fantasy slash soap opera, kind of genre fucky television show. I'm sitting in the darkened sunroom of this person's house, scrolling through r slash Twin Peaks on my phone, while the other Spring Arbor University gays congregate and imbibe and discuss in the other room. I am just longing and itching to deluge about my new special interest or hyperfixation. 
I really don't know at this point any other way to make friends than in a frenzy of information or over shared interests and passion like theater, like sociology. And sometimes I still don't, honestly. My friend Kristen is in the other room dressed like another um, surrealist icon, old Greg. If you know, you know, but I guess only Mary knows. Um, <laughs> Oh, Jack knows too. I tend to make friends like one at a time and Kristen is the friend du jour and she ostensibly like tolerates my putting on Twin Peaks in the background every time we hang out. Um, listening and re-listening to the remix of Muddy Magnolia's American Woman, the Lynch remix specifically, watching fan theory videos while she worked on her film papers. She's another Spring Arbor art gay, a film gay with some inkling of who David Lynch is so I kind of pounce on that. This is a season in my life uh, where I am writing four-page poems, four fucking pages. Like, not just like one stanza going down, but like it's the two columns, so it's like eight pages of poems about my loneliness and then going and performing them and losing at slam poetry competitions. This is a season in my life where I feel the woundedness in my side where my friends who were seniors last year, who it was easy to make friends with, who were things that we had in common, were starting new jobs this year, or grad school, were moving away. Kristen seems to be the one Spring Arbor art gay left um, who can stand this constant deluge of information, not only about Twin Peaks, but about uh, what I can later kind of identify as a burgeoning understanding of myself and my past. But Kristen sits in the other room this Halloween and it's in this moment that my insecurity watching her talk with other people creeps up my throat and threatens to spill out of my mouth in the form of, did you know everything you love about television you can thank auteur cinema artist David Lynch for? Which by the way, did you know that everything you love about television, all of your favorite television shows, I'm not kidding, have a genealogy that includes Twin Peaks. Let's name a few, let's do a show of hands. Let's, let's do it. Who likes The Sopranos? Raise your hand, raise, raise them high. How about the creepy stuff in yellow jackets? Yellow jackets, anybody yellow jackets? Do you love to hate soapy corny things like Riverdale? Yeah. yeah, do you keep your guilty pleasures like Desperate Housewives close to your chest? Do you wanna believe like Mulder and Scully in the X-Files? Do you swear by all but the ending of Lost? Or tell your post-evangelical friends to watch The Leftovers? Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad, Atlanta, Game of Thrones, Psych, She's Gotta Have It, Sense 8, Queen Sugar, Mr. Robot, Legion, the list just goes on and on, truly. So if you put up a hand at any moment, um, you can thank Twin Peaks for your latest obsession. Everyone say thank you. Now. Thank you. Now everyone say amen. Now everybody say sausage, keep it going. Thank you, Jack. Um, the thing for me that makes Twin Peaks I would consider so artistically formative are the reasons it's so groundbreaking, like the distinctive surrealist, what we would call Lynchian, like fuck David Foster Wallace for coining the term, but it's the macabre meeting the mundane filmic techniques and television that were unprecedented at the time, the character-centric and character-driven narrative, the complexity of the mythology, the weird shit. Also the main character, Coop, he comes to this town to investigate the death of the homecoming queen, Laura Palmer. It's kind of very genre specific. He is easily enamored with the Douglas fir trees, the cherry pie, and the apparent inherent, and the apparent inherent goodness of the people of the small town. But nothing in Twin Peaks is as it seems. And he soon discovers through this variety of dream sequences and apparitions from otherworldly entities and divinatory techniques and undercover escapades that there's a seedy underbelly to the town that he has come to love. 
a town that will eventually let him be swallowed whole and spat out a wordless husk of a man. But that doesn't happen until like after a prequel movie, the show, well, the show gets canceled after two seasons, then a prequel movie, then 25 years later, and then the third season, so it's a whole thing. And this is, and it's this that was so artistically formative for me, the third season of Twin Peaks, that it was really kind of all-consuming. It was all I could talk about, all I could really consume. I didn't watch or read anything else. It was the only way that I knew how to cry out to people that I was lonely without the security of my established friends. And as a neurodivergent adult, a little bit older now um, than I was then, obviously, because... That's how like time works. Um, I get this third season of Cooper. I get him, the nonverbal and essentially non-functioning after 25 years of what is an allegory for hell. After loss and isolation stuck in the Black Lodge, but when he emerges 25 years later for the third season, he can see which lotto machines will win him the jackpots. He also passively responds by echoing the words of the people around him. He has a vague recollection of who he was before his wounding, before his suffering. He understands that there is something namelessly different about him than how he understood himself before, even if the people around him really just don't realize it and spend the whole third season not realizing how this Cooper is different than he was before. In fact, they just ignore it. He might be an allegory, for a late diagnosed autistic. I don't know. The thing about David Lynch movies and television, even like the Disney movie that he made, he made a Disney movie, is that you can't explain them. You can only kind of experience them. The language of films is the image. Try to think of your favorite image from a film. Can you describe it to the point, to the detail? Can you explain like, I don't know, the man behind the winkies succinctly? No, you can't. In interviews, David Lynch is repulsed by interviews trying to explain his films with words. The world is an odd place, his films say, and our experiences reflect that. We experience these wonderful and strange things that are evocative but also kind of evasive when it comes to words. We fail to put into words our wonder but also our equivalent horror. The centered themes of David Lynch movies are things like interpersonal violence, trauma, mysticism, mystical representation of these metaphysical realities, and otherworldly entities. David Lynch's filmography is kind of a lot like the Bible. It's a canon of the awful things that we do to one another, from murder to cutting off an ear, but the uncertain hope that maybe the cycle of violence will be broken. Cut to exterior, the Ford of Jabbok, night. Jacob, a trickster, the fledgling patriarch of Israel, sits by the stream, the waters of his thoughts of his impending meeting with his estranged brother Esau flowing through his mind. A slow crackle, like electricity, they don't have a word for that yet, sounds from the edge of the water. And he turns and he looks. And there's a man there whose form can be seen as a pale smudge in the darkness. There is no preamble to the blows the man throws for the way he throws his arms around Jacob's waist, swinging his fists, throwing Jacob to the ground. Jacob dodges and weaves, throws his body weight around as he has done throughout his life wrestling with his brother. Jacob turns on the offensive, overpowering the stranger who in this breaking, breaking light of dawn, who's been fighting all night, simply reaches around Jacob's waist and touches the socket of his hip, the man. Let me go, for it is daybreak, Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man says, what is your name? Jacob says, Jacob. 
the man, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob pleading, tell me your name. The man, why do you ask my name? The man utters a blessing upon the newly christened Israel and leaves him with the same crackling sound as when he arrived. Jacob, who declares the place to be Peniel, for he has seen the face of God, is left alone. He stands from his seat beside the stream, and a pain twinges in his hip socket socket as he stands. And this impairment, this touching by an angel of his hip, will be honored by his descendants to this day, who don't eat the tendon that is attached to the hip. Cut to interior Lowell Hall, Gamma 2, night. I'm 21 still. I'm texting my mother about Kristen, who's been giving me some sort of silent treatment weeks later. I'm coming to understand that the way that I make friends is not typical. I am coming to understand my hyperfixations as a child and as an adult as products of neurodivergent. I'm coming to understand the ways in which I walk with a limp myself, impaired in social processes and interactions. I have not yet understood, though, that everyone walks a little strangely. Everyone is distinct in these processes of thought and cognition and emotions and socializing. Everyone has been blessed with a person-specific experience of the world that shapes how we we see it as wonderful, but also as strange. And there are some of us for whom this strange stride is a little bit more pronounced, those of us who walk with a limp through a world that is not friendly to limping, a world that bullies neurodivergence into submission rather than letting people fully flourish as they are. I text my mother that I feel like I was absent on the day that they gave instructions in school and how to socialize. I lament the distance between Kristen and I. I think she's getting tired of my Lynchian diatribes, but my mom responds that she feels the same way. That the way that we experience the world is, yeah, in fact, fundamentally different from the world around us. And it's just a fact. And I know I have inherited my limp from her I know it is a fact that I will never walk without it. It's impairment. It's also wonder. The world is strange to me. It is often inaccessible. It is full of disdain for the quirks in my brain. It's difficult to manage. It's quite frankly overwhelming, in a word. And yet the world is full of wonder, just simply overwhelming wonder I find that I imagine that Jacob never walked the same after his encounter with God. The text doesn't say that, but um, I feel like he does both out of woundedness and wonder. He got his shit rocked in a number of ways. But he had wonders to report and something interesting to share. An encounter with the wild divine weird, much like Cooper in Twin Peaks, who encounters in the woods these strange beings, who encounters dead homecoming queens and brains that are also trees that are also the little man from the beginning of the sermon that David Lynch had beef with. And so when it came to casting him the third season, he replaced him and replaced him with a CGI tree that is also a brain and also giants, but also coming face to face with evil incarnate. Coop, who has seen bizarre things, who is disabled by his experiences and the incongruence between what he has experienced and the world around him. See, wonder, Wonder is antithetical to this ableist nihilism of the world. Wonder says the wild, divine, weird loves your strange experiences and values them. Wonder says difference matters and has meaning rather than solely being just an aberration. Wonder values the sublime and the unique. 
Wonder allows for a difference in perspective. Wonder is I have wrestled, I have reckoned with the wild divine weird and have something to share from it. Listen to me, honor me. I have something to share. We don't have to wrestle with the wild, weird, divine, like literally you don't have to fist fight God in a Denny's or a Waffle House at 3 a.m. Wonder is your special interest. It's your passion. It's what makes the regular rounds in your head. You can find wonder in The Bachelor or the Jonas Brothers or birds or your weaving loom or isopods. You can find it in the macabre, but also the mundane. It's all just in there. You are captivated for a reason. And what captivates you, I'm going to be honest, makes you really weird at parties. But it also makes you blessed. You are wonderful and strange and blessed for the same reasons that make you a little weird. Blessed are you, neurodivergent kids. Blessed are you, late diagnosed autistics, kids who would rather share about their dense special interests and make small talk. Blessed are you for the ways you do not conform. Blessed are you who cannot keep from sharing what strange things makes your soul sing with wonder. <laughs>